WCNC Charlotte. This is Flashpoint, where power and politics collide and the tough questions get asked and answered. Thanks for joining us here on Flashpoint. I'm Ben Thompson. It's primary week on Tuesday. Voters will take to the polls if they haven't already to vote for who they want to see in the general election. Voters can cast ballots for races all across the spectrum, including Charlotte City Council, Mecklenburg County Sheriff, congressional districts, and one of North Carolina's Senate seats. And joining us today, Mecklenburg County Elections Director Michael Dickerson. Mr. Dickerson, good to see you, my friend. Good to be here. Thanks for having me. All right, generally speaking, what are, what are the trends we're seeing so far when it comes to early voting? Uh, well, we've, we've seen a good number of people come out. Uh, obviously, in this county, we have more Democrats than Republicans. Uh, so you'll you'll have more of those. You've got a, a good number of the affiliates are breaking uh, for the Democratic ballot. So we, we noticed that uh, on uh, um, on our our list of people that are coming out uh, to vote. So those those are good numbers. Now, how it turns out to reflect what Election Day looks like will be uh, completely up to the voters. But uh, so far, so good. And the system's working really, really working well. How do we compare to, say, past years at far, as far as this point in, or in <laughs> yeah. the sort of early voting? Yes. I think early voting is starting to become more dominant. Um, we're probably about 35, 40 percent higher than what we did four years ago in early voting uh, in a comparable election. So that's that's a really good number. And, and you know, as well as I do, and we've been, done this long enough, your primaries don't generally get 20 or 30 percent of the folks out there. We're lucky if we can get 10 to 15 percent of the voters out for a primary. Uh, so um, if that's the case, you, you know, your early voting numbers are are really uh, uh, looking strong uh, for for being about uh, half of what we're going to probably see or 40 percent of what we're going to see in an overall turnout. I was going to say, so overall turnout, what are you expecting? Well, like I said, you generally see 10, 11 uh, percent this year since you've got um, you've got redistricting going on and we've got two congressional seats that uh, uh, both sides are competitive. You've got a U.S. Senate uh, race, uh, both sides, which are competitive. You should see more. Um, and plus, uh, you, you know, you've got on this ballot, which is the really strange part is uh, I have um uh, city of charlotte primary on a midterm ballot so we're hoping to get about 15 percent uh show up uh those would be good numbers uh realistically anywhere between that 11 to 15 is where we we expect to see uh for this uh may primary that said we know a lot of people do not vote um especially in, in a year like this in a primary um which as you know is where some of the big decisions are made um so it could often be that only a few thousand people are, p are picking these candidates. How do you push more people to vote in, in a primary? Uh, that's just yeah. First off, the, the biggest thing we did was offer 16 early voting sites uh, from the get go. Uh, from the first day that early voting was available, uh, my board said open them all up and open them up from eight o'clock in the morning till 730 at night and run them through the process. That was the biggest thing we did. Um, we, we've also, we've also encouraged the, uh, the absentee by mail with the absentee by mail portal. This is the first time folks are voting since, uh, 2020. Uh, we know that there were claims of elections being stolen back then. Um, while untrue, there are some, still some people still skeptical about that. How do you ease the minds of folks out there that this is a, a, a completely safe, secure method of voting? 
Sure. Uh, and what we what we do is we let people know that we have we have tested the process, we have uh, made sure it's secure, and we have audited the process. Uh, uh, again, but you and I know this. We've been doing this for years. Uh, it is a, a whole process completely offline. It never touches the internet. There's nothing on the internet. There's no way somebody can hack into the the process of voting itself. Uh, we use a, a touchscreen machine that produces a, a, a hand card that you can, or a, a paper card that you can then put in your hands and look at before you run it through the tabulator. So you've got all that. We've tested that equipment before it goes out, just like everybody else in this state. We've tested that equipment to make sure it's going to work. So after after this primary um, in May, what what happens after that? There's a city election in July, I believe. Is that what happens? Correct, uh, correct. We've got a a, a city election July 26 uh, for their general election, uh, and that uh, that election will. Uh, we'll cover all these mayor, the city council at large, and the city council districts. Um, so that will be that. Now, if there's a need for a second primary anywhere uh, in the uh, uh, county, that would also uh, be had on the 26th. But I don't think we're, we're looking at that right now. The general election for everybody else after the city of Charlotte general election on July will be straight up uh, uh, November the 8th. So sort of like a rapid uh, procession here of, of May 17th, July 26th, and then uh, got a couple months off, and then you look at November 8th as being your general election day for all of your midterm elections. And I hope folks at home uh, were taking notes on all of that because it's all, it's all it's a, it's <laughs> don't, a lot. Don't bother. We'll talk about this again, uh, I am sure. Um, but it, 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 it is very, it is very, um, it's sort of a convoluted year this year where you, like you said, you threw your city of Charlotte into a midterm election. That has never happened in my 23 year tenure. Uh, so you, you've got something new going on this year. Uh, worry about 17th of May 1st. We'll get to July 26th after this, uh, after this primary and we'll have our general election with Charlotte and then the general election for everybody else later. Folks at home, I have been interviewing Michael Dickerson for the better part of the past 15 years, and you will not find somebody who's more uh, enthusiastic and engaged when it comes to his job and uh, his role in the democracy. Um, Michael Dickerson, thank you as always. I do appreciate it. Ben, it's my pleasure. Always talk to you. Thank right. you. Take care. More Flashpoint after this. Welcome back to Flashpoint. The battle over abortion rights continues. This week, a bill to write Roe v. Wade into law was blocked by GOP-led filibuster. President Biden had called on Congress to pass legislation that would guarantee the constitutional right to abortion after the leak of a draft Supreme Court opinion that would overturn Roe v. Wade. However, the 51 to 49 vote was almost along party lines with Democratic Senator uh, Joe Manchin joining Republicans in rejecting the legislation. It provided a stark display of the nation's partisan divide over the landmark court decision. The vote promised to be the first of several efforts to, in Congress to preserve the nearly 50-year-old court rule. Joining us today is Stephen Billy. He is the executive director of the, the Charlotte Lozier Institute. It focuses on, on science and statistics related to pro-life issues. Worth mentioning, uh, of interest to our viewers, he grew up in Concord. I uh, worked in the Trump White House as well. Uh, Stephen, thanks for taking time. We appreciate you joining us. Absolutely, Ben. Thanks for having me. It's great to be with you. Um, 
we know Justice Alito cited a study from your group in, in that draft opinion, and I want to get to that in just a second. But first, as a local guy who has now found himself in the middle of the biggest court case of the last year, at least, if not the last decade or so, what do you think of the reaction that has happened over the last week or so? Well, it's, it's a long ways from the high school jobs at Carowinds and Concord Mills, that's for sure. But you know, what I've been excited about the last week, being in the pro-life movement and with the news that we've seen, is that people are talking about the issue. Uh, they're finally coming to the realization about how extreme American abortion laws are uh, compared to internationally, but also just the impact that abortion has had on our nation. Uh, even Bill Maher recently mentioned, you know, these are common sense things that he has just never heard before. Um, and it's because the news hasn't covered it. So it's been an opportunity to get a lot of information out and it's just been a very exciting week. Um, that said, we know that, that, that According to the most recent polling, most Americans support upholding Roe v. Wade in some form, roughly to a two to one majority. Uh, do you feel like that's overstated? How do you feel about the idea that this might not be, um, if it follows through in the next uh, month or two, um, this might not be the most popular uh, decision, which, by the way, I'm a big believer that, that just because you shouldn't legislate or, or pass laws or, or pass court opinions because based on popularity, we wouldn't have necessarily gay marriage or other things if we did it based strictly on popularity. But that said, what do you think of the fact that, that a lot of folks are very, very polarized about this and, and according to many polls that they don't want this overturned? Well, I actually think that the poll you're citing that the American people don't want Roe overturned is fundamentally flawed. Um, when you dig deeper into that, most people don't understand um, because it has been reported, it hasn't been talked about, that Roe v. Wade allows abortion up until the moment of birth. And the American people overwhelmingly reject that position for our country. Um, poll after poll shows that the American people do believe in common sense legislation. They do believe in common sense restrictions on abortion. The extreme position of abortion until birth is not where the American people are. And so you can look back for over a dozen years, Marist has run a poll on these issues that shows consistently over 70% of Americans believe in limitations on abortion. The idea that Roe v. Wade would allow and does allow abortion up until the moment of birth, that's not what the American people believe in. But, but honestly speaking though, where, where is that happening? Uh, because you're talking about regulations happening and, and people supporting regulations. And, and I think most people would totally agree with you. Yeah, most people think there should be regulations. And, and uh, where is it happening up until the, to the moment of birth? Well, the Senate just this week voted on a law that would make sure that all across the entire country, state laws regulating abortion would be overturned. They'd be um, pushed to the side, laws that would in, uh, deal with informed consent of women so they know what the true risks of abortion are. Uh, parental consent laws would be pushed to the side. And the Senate Democrats, uh, thankfully it failed, but they voted for a bill that would allow abortion until birth at any time, any place. And that's the position that the Democrats have right now. That's the position they want for the entire country. But Stephen, that's my point, is that that's just a proposal and it failed. That's not the, the law of the land right now. Um, I, I, I want to get to those, this, the study yeah. um, that Justice Alito cited, because it, it, it certainly, the study that you all did um, made it seem like the U.S. was an outlier. And you sort of touched on that a little bit. Um, mm -hmm. it, it, are we an outlier based on your all's studies? Absolutely. We're an outlier. Uh, when you look across the entire world, we're one of a handful of countries that allows abortion up until the moment of birth. And to your point, Colorado has recently enshrined that into law. Connecticut has recently passed a law that makes sure that abortion until birth is allowed. Uh, the mayor in Chicago, Mayor Lightfoot, has said she wants Chicago to be an abortion oasis. The governor in California 
uh, has said that he wants California to be a governor, uh, a abortion sanctuary. So the fact that abortion until the moment of birth isn't happening, that's not true. It is, and, and the Democrats are pushing for it. And when you look at us on an international stage, that's not where the rest of the world is. There's only a handful of countries that allow that. It's America, along with North Korea and China, and a handful of others. And if you look at Europe, 47 out of 50 countries in Europe actually limit elective abortion prior to 15 weeks. Over half of those countries in Europe limit elective abortion prior to 12 weeks. That's what Mississippi put forward in the Dobbs case, a 15-week limitation. That's what the Supreme Court's deciding right now. And it's important to keep in mind that if the Supreme Court leaked a draft opinion does hold, overturning Roe doesn't ban abortion in our country. Overturning Roe would allow the American people to have a voice in the policy decisions around abortion. It would make sure that their elected officials, their governors, their state legislators, their congressmen and senators are the ones that are deciding that it's not uh, the unelected judges at the Supreme Court based on science from 50 years ago. It would, it would be more legislative, which I, I think is a point that, that I think a lot of people see as valid. Um, but you mentioned Europe, though. But Europe, I mean, they permit abortions beyond 15 weeks under a, a very, very, very liberal, broad range of exceptions, no? So the laws on the book limit elective abortion at 15 weeks or earlier for 47 out of 50 countries. What you're talking about is enforcement of those laws, whether they have exceptions or how broad they allow those exceptions to be read. That's the kind of policy that the American people don't get a say in right now because of Roe v. Wade and because of the Supreme Court. So if Roe is overturned, if the leaked opinion does hold, the American people are going to have a chance to engage in that policy. They're going to tell their state legislators, this is what we believe our state uh, policy should be. These are the exceptions that we believe we should have. These are how those exceptions should be enforced. All of those discussions can happen. We can find consensus state by state. What California looks like isn't going to be what North Carolina looks like, isn't going to be what New York and Alabama look like, and that's okay. But the people have not had the opportunity to engage in that kind of policy discussion. Um, and the reality is the rest of the world is having it. And right now, because we, we haven't had those policy discussions for the last 50 years, we're in the ranks of China and North Korea allowing abortion up until the moment of birth. Still, I think overall, the, the, the trend around the world is a, a, a shift to more loosening um, restrictions on abortion laws. And I think that would make America sort of an outlier in that way and that we were, we're, we're going a bit in the other direction. Um, that, that's it, to the point you were just making about letting the states d make decisions on their own, things like that. So would you say that you are against then um, what a lot of folks say is, is coming, and that's a national ban on abortion, that you would be against that then because it's not then up to the states? No, well, I'll push back a little bit on the trend internationally. Uh, abortion law internationally has been stable um, for at least the last dozen years or so. There hasn't been a, a widespread trend to increase in abortion access across the entire globe. Um, but to your point, I believe that the, there is a role for federal legislators to play in the abortion uh, policy. And I think that they, they will have a, a role to play and they will act on that. Yeah, the Senate Democrats right now are trying to push forward abortion on demand up until the moment of birth. They want every state law, every state regulation banned. Uh, and they, they want the national law to be abortion up until the moment of birth. There will be a role for federal legislators to play. Um, but a lot of the work will also be done in the state levels. And I think that is is appropriate. And the, the American people deserve to have their voices heard through their elected officials, whether okay. at the state or the federal level. Just real quickly, because i got to get in one last question real quick, because it's one that I think a lot of people struggle with um, who feel um, conflicted or they feel either way about this. And do you feel like there are good people on both sides of this issue? And if so, why is there not room for compromise? 
I think there is room for compromise. I think the fact that the American people's voices haven't been able to be heard because of Roe v. Wade um, is what has driven so much division. We've never been able to let the American people find consensus through the democratic and political and policymaking process. Uh, when we have that, we can find consensus in the states. I think a lot of that division will dissipate. Um, I do believe there are people from both sides coming from this with good intention. I don't believe that the abortion industry is coming with good intention. I believe that they see a, a, a profiteering um, and a corporate aspect to all of this. Uh, they continue to put forward misinformation um, and, and it puts lives at, at risk, not only the unborn child whose life is ultimately ended by abortion, but the mothers who face physical and health and mental health complications from abortions. So there is room to find consensus. I believe we can do that. And with the overturning of Roe, we'll be able to move forward in that in that policymaking and decision-making process based on the American people's voice. Stephen Billy with the Charlotte Lozier Institute. Listen, it's not an easy issue to talk about, and, and uh, you probably made a few enemies, and you probably made a, new, uh, a few new fans as well, uh, especially up in Concord, I imagine. Uh, Stephen, thanks for coming on. We do appreciate you talking about a tough topic. Ben, thanks so much. Thank you for having me on to, to talk about a difficult issue. I'm always happy to do it. All right, take care. So you've just heard the political aspect of this, but we know abortion is, is a deeply, deeply personal thing for a lot of people. Coming up after this, we're going to hear from two women who had abortions and have two very different opinions of what happened. That's coming up next on Flashpoint. Welcome back to Flashpoint. As the battle over abortion takes center stage on Capitol Hill, Women are sharing their experiences with abortion. WCNC Charlotte's Lexi Wilson spoke to two different women who got abortions years ago, one who has no regrets and the other who has many. Betty Guns's story is one of survival. Making abortion illegal doesn't make abortion go away. It just makes it unsafe and people will have the kinds of experiences that I had. In college at 20 years old, she found herself pregnant. She wasn't ready to have a baby. Her boyfriend at the time struggled with mental health issues. He and I drove to a small strip mall in Raleigh and a stranger picked us up and blindfolded us and took us to the house where the man who did the abortion lived. He did the abortion um, on his on a table in his house. They gave me whiskey to sedate me, which I could barely get down. I'm, I was a non-drinker. Um, and after the abortion, I, we were blindfolded again, taken back to the strip mall. I went back to college dorm, my college dorm room, and waited. And over a period of about four days, I got sicker and sicker. Betty developed sepsis. For about three months, she recovered at Memorial Hospital in Chapel Hill. SBI agents came to my hospital room to question me because abortion was illegal. While I was still hovering between life and death. She went on to become a clinical social worker, have children and grandchildren. To this day, she has no regrets. The abortion allowed me to live into my calling. What, what I think maybe God intended for me. But not everyone who's had an abortion feels the same. One of those proud mindsets I guess if everyone's doing it, it's okay. 
and um, went through with it and immediately regretted it, immediately regretted it. Jump to now, Paige Bryden is married with two sons. God has an intention for every single life and I can speak to that as being a mother of a special needs child. She has her own ministry and advocates against abortion while offering support to women who are contemplating it. There is help available to you. What do you need? We have it. We have it. And if Roe v. Wade disappears, it's clear that may just inflame the rift within a divided country. Reporting for WCNC Charlotte, I'm Lexi Wilson. More Flashpoint after this. Folks, come interact with us on social media. Let us know what you think. If there's something you want us to cover, let us know about that too. And of course, you can always subscribe to our podcast. And we'll see you back here next week for Flashpoint. Have a great week, everybody.